Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. We are a rooted and empowered people here at All Saints. Um, We are seeking to be rooted in the truth. So we talk about being people of the book. And we also recognize that the truth is actually a person. And Jesus says in John 14 that he is the truth. So, you know, along with giving ourselves to the word of God and the truth of scripture and every word of scripture and meditating on it day and night, we also recognize that being rooted in the truth means that we are in living connection with a person, the Lord Jesus, who is the truth. So wherever his presence is, he brings truth, his voice is truth, and he dispels darkness. And so it's wonderful when we get to come into his presence. It's truth in a person. We're also empowered, right? We're rooted and empowered, and so we believe that we're called to follow Jesus and to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. So we seek to grow in being rooted and empowered people. And on that note, why don't you open your Bible to Acts 9. And we've been looking at this amazing story of Saul. Saul of Tarsus, and that's his Hebrew name, also known as Paul, the Apostle Paul. So we use those interchangeably, but in Acts chapter 9, he's referred to as Saul over and over again. And so we've seen in recent weeks, verses 1 to 9 of chapter 9, Saul's radical conversion. And I can't get away from this, obviously. I'm just kind of stuck in this passage, and we keep going back to it because it's so important for the book of Acts, but also for the rest of the New Testament, that this man, the least likely, he was a Christ persecutor, and he becomes a Christ preacher in an instant. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changes for him. And we were looking last week at the next verses, in chapter 9 from 10 to 22, and we were seeing some of the fruits of his conversion, this radical conversion that Saul had where Jesus calls him. And we're going to actually go back and look at that a little bit today, look at some of the fruit of his conversion. And basically, he's called by Jesus to bear the name of Jesus, the presence of Jesus to the Gentile nations. And the Lord's going to give him some specific directions that we're going to look at. And then today, we're going to touch briefly on verses 23 through 31, and that's Saul's new community. So what a story this is. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And I've encouraged us to think, you know, first about the text and about the historical context, but also to think that if the Lord Jesus can save Saul, he can save anyone. And so you most likely have a person or several people in your life that you think are pretty close to hopeless, that the Lord could not save that person for various reasons. But we read texts like this and we say, you know what, with man or woman it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
If the Lord could save someone like him who was filled with anger and murder and rage against Jesus and his church and then use him powerfully, then the Lord certainly can reach into those folks' lives that we know, that we love, and save them and set them on a whole new course. Amen? So the Bible speaks to us, speaks to us loud and clear. So Lord, we just ask today that you would speak to us through your word. We love you. We love your word. And we thank you that every time we encounter you in your word, we're changed. So we expect that today, the transformative work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at 10 through 22, and I'm just going to touch on a few things that we looked at last week. That was Saul's new calling, the new calling, the new mission that Paul received from Jesus. And we looked at verses 10 through 12, not going to read them again, but it was the Lord speaking to Ananias and telling him that he's about to go meet Saul. And then in verses 13 through 14, Ananias is responding nervously to what Jesus said. And if you remember that, if you were here last week or you listened to it, Ananias hears from Jesus in this vision, and he says, Lord, I am nervous. I've heard many reports about this man, and frankly, I'm pretty scared to go meet with him. And the Lord says that he needs to go do it anyway. And so he says, yes, sir. And so let's look at verses 15 through 16. The Lord is assuring Ananias, and Ananias isn't mentioned through the rest of Scripture, but he is a key kind of unsung hero. He's a believer that has heard from Jesus, and he's nearby, and Jesus is going to send him to go meet with Saul, the crazy Christ persecutor, and the Lord's getting ready to use Ananias in some key ways. And so look at verses 15 through 16, Acts chapter 9. And the Lord is addressing Ananias and telling him to go because the Lord has a new calling for Saul. And the Lord's going to speak through Ananias to Saul. And look at verses 15 through 16. He says this, Go. For Saul is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So this is such an important moment in the life of Saul and in the life of Ananias for for that matter that we just need to dwell with this for a minute. We need to think about the call that Jesus is speaking over Saul's life. And if you look, the first thing there in verses 15 through 16 is that he's a chosen instrument, that Jesus sovereignly chose Saul and knew that when he entered his life that he would respond in faith. So we have this kind of mysterious moment, the sovereignty of the Lord and the receptivity of a person that you wouldn't think is going to be receptive. And look at his calling. He's an instrument of choice. He's a chosen vessel. What does a vessel do, church? Contains. It carries something. And so he's being chosen to carry the name of Jesus, the very presence of Jesus 
the character of Jesus, and we should ask at this moment, Jesus, are you sure you got the right man? (laughs) I mean, Jesus, your ways are so different than ours. There are lots of other people that you could have chosen, and Jesus sovereignly says, I want him. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to use him to change human history and to set a course in the history of the church. But look at what the Lord says to Ananias about Saul. Look at the end of, or actually the verse 16, the whole thing. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. These are pretty potent words, aren't they? It's pretty heavy. But Saul embraces it. And Saul is going to go on. I just want to read a text in 2 Corinthians 11. Look there very quickly. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. You can hang a right from Acts 9, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. And we just want to at times see this is the beginning of Saul's spiritual journey in Christ. But then we want to kind of look ahead at different moments where he's reflecting back on this call. And we get to see over the years what he says about his calling what Jesus called him to be and do. So 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. And again, I want us to view this through the filter of Saul, the persecutor, Christ-hater, the one who was there uh, while Stephen was being stoned and giving full approval to it. And listen to what Jesus did in this man's heart. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28. And he's speaking about some of the other, what he calls kind of super apostles who are almost trying to compete with Paul. And so he uses some humor here, but he says, are they, the super apostles, are they really ministers of Christ? I am talking like a madman here, but I'm a better one. So really he's making sure that they know he's a true apostle and these others are false apostles. But listen to what he says here. It's kind of his resume of suffering with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings, and often near death. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. So friends, this dude got saved. Jesus entered his life. He knew all of the 
messianic prophecies. He was a faithful Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but it all came into focus for him meeting Jesus when he saw the glory of God in the face of Christ on the road. And so he's reflecting back on his life, and he's fully embraced this call on his life. Jesus says from the beginning, Saul, you're going to suffer greatly, and Saul embraces it. And friends, as we mentioned before, a desert hallucination or a kind of psychological mindset doesn't explain this right here. He met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus face to face, and he wouldn't stop. He was unstoppable, wasn't he? Nothing could stop. He was all in, 100%, putting body, soul, and spirit on the line for Jesus. And what's interesting, this same Saul, Paul, goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, will suffer. So he is amazing. Saul's amazing. The Lord that he serves is amazing. But he's very careful to look at the church that he gets to serve in, and he says, this is not unusual. I'm an apostle, met the Lord face to face, but this is true for all of you. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted like I have been. You will suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. Uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, says in 1 Peter 4.14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, the spirit of God rests on you. So friends, it's amazing to look at Saul's conversion, his new calling, but it's also true for all of us, all saints. It's part of the gospel, and we're doing injustice to people if we don't say from the beginning, if you wanna follow Jesus, and we even tell our young people this, following Jesus is the most amazing thing you can do but it's not unusual for you to have to suffer for him. That's part of the biblical gospel. And so like Saul, we have to be willing to embrace suffering and hardship. It's not strange or abnormal, it's actually a normal part of Christian life. We follow a crucified Lord, don't we? This cross that's up here reminds us of that. The crucified Lord is the one that we follow, and he tells us to take up our cross and to follow him. Now, what would you say? Is that a dreadful, heavy, burdensome thing? Or is it the most joyful thing you could possibly do? Some of you are going, I'm not sure. That sounds like pretty heavy stuff. I think it's the most joyful, fulfilling thing we could possibly do is to follow the crucified Jesus and to take up our cross. You've tried the other stuff, so have I. How does that go? Medicating ourselves, drinking, drugs, addictions, these kinds of things, that doesn't lead to life, does it? It, it hollows us out more, so we might as well give ourselves completely to following the crucified Jesus and to taking up our cross. Because Jesus says, if you lose your life, you'll gain it. Right? Amen? I'm going to start preaching here in a minute if we're not careful. So, all right, look at verses 17 through 19. Again, we're just dwelling with this. 
because it's so important to see and understand who this Saul person is who writes 13 letters of the New Testament. This is part of his original experience. So in verses 17 through 19, Saul sees again. If you remember, he was blinded by the glory of God, the very Shekinah glory of God of Yahweh is radiating from the face of Jesus and Saul can't handle it. And so if you look at verses 17 through 19, Ananias is sent to the house of Judas, not Judas Iscariot, someone else on the street called Straight. And look at what he says in verse 17. He's appearing to this former persecutor of the church and he says, Look at, look at what he says. What's the word he uses here? What's it say? Brother Saul. So what is already happening in his heart, Ananias' heart? He's already hearing from the Lord and saying, this guy's a brother. I can't wrap my mind around it. I'm just interacting with him. I'm a little scared. But he's a brother. He is a brother in Christ. And then look what it says. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me to you, that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something, verse 18, like scales, fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and he was baptized. Then after taking some food, he regained his strength, and for several days he was with the disciples. So Saul is seeing again, and it's rather strange, isn't it? This scales from his eyes, and we know that Luke was either a doctor or had medical experience, and so he's using some language here. Something happened to Saul's eyes after encountering the Lord. It may have been something that the language actually means, something scab-like. He had scabs or like crusts of dried secretion. How's that for some picturesque language? There was something going on with his eyeballs because he encountered the very Shekinah glory of God. And so Ananias lays hands on him. And I mean, think about the sequence of events. Just immediately he regains his sight, which he's lost for three days, and then he gets up and he's baptized. Friends, can you imagine what this would have been like for those early believers who are wondering, can we trust this guy? Yes, he's a brother. And now we get to baptize him. And most likely the text is suggesting that Ananias is the one who baptized him. Ananias was not an apostle. He was not high up in the hierarchy. He was the one that Jesus chose to come and to baptize the Apostle Paul. And then we see at verses 20 through 22, part of Saul's new calling is he immediately goes and begins to proclaim Jesus. And the text says at verse 20, he's proclaiming at the end there that he is the Son of God. Again, think how shocking this is. And he's going to the very synagogues that's that have authorized him to go and gather and shackle the Christians. And now he's going back to those synagogues that have authorized him, and he's saying, you know what? Jesus is the Son of God. 
And so all of this was based on his encounter with the living Jesus. And he's proclaiming that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Certain passages like Psalm 2, which spoke about the future anointed son of David and son of God, Saul is saying this is him. This is the one to whom all the nations, the very ends of the earth, will belong. Verse 21 says that people are amazed. We would be as well. Is this, look at verse 21. Is this not the man who destroyed those who were calling on Jesus? Didn't he come here to bring Christians bound before the chief priests? So he's gone from a destroyer to a disciple maker. And what we're seeing here is from a persecutor of Christ to the preacher of Christ. And he goes on to increase in strength. Pretty rich stuff, isn't it? Now let's look at verses 23 through 31. We're going to do this quickly and then we're going to shift into ministry time. But I want to read verses 23 through 31. Again, keeping in mind his conversion, his calling. And now we're going to see in this text that Saul actually has a new family, a new community. So verses 23 through 31, I'm going to read it and then we'll make a few comments and then wrap up. Acts 9, 23. After some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul, but their plot became known to him. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and argued with the Hellenists, but they were attempting to kill him. When the brothers and sisters learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Look at this, verse 31. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So we see Saul's radical conversion, his new calling, and now we see his new community. Verses 23 through 25, he escapes from the Jews. The persecutor becomes the persecuted. The pursuer is now pursued, and they were watching the gates of the city. So disruptive was Saul. So he goes from disrupting the church to now encountering Jesus, and now he's disrupting the kingdom of darkness, and he's disrupting a religious system that's denying Christ. And so the Jews, and we learn about this in 2 Corinthians 11, in cooperation with the local government. They're watching the city to see if they can apprehend him. And look at this. Look at verse, uh, where are we at here? Look at verse 25. 
Notice it starts there, but who took him? What's your text say? His disciples. So he's got a new brother with Ananias, and now he's already got disciples. And there's a window of time here where he's gone to the desert, the Nabataean Arabian desert, to spend time with Jesus and receive revelation from him. But very quickly, Saul has gathered disciples around him. So he's pouring into and mentoring people around him, probably young people. And they're already looking out for their new brother in Christ, Saul. And they take him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall. And this should kind of trigger some memories for us in the Old Testament. If you remember Rahab in the Joshua story, do you remember that where Rahab helps two spies escape, two of Joshua's spies, and they escape out of a window in a wall. And so in the ancient world, oftentimes the walls were living quarters as well. And so this is, Saul is hiding out in a wall, in an apartment-sized place, and he is sneaking out through the wall. Luke is also using language that he used earlier in his gospel Can you remember somewhere else where someone was lowered down in the Gospels? Anyone? Bueller? Anybody? Where was someone else lowered down? That's right, the paralyzed man was lowered down. And so Luke is a masterful writer. So he, just by describing this moment, he wants us to remember Rahab with the two spies. And he also wants us to think of the paralyzed man being lowered. And he uses very graphic language. It's a large, round, braided basket, often used for fish, collecting fish. And so Saul is hiding in that basket covered up, probably in dark clothing, probably has his face covered up, may even have a blanket over him, and he escapes by night. And then he goes, look at verse 26, he visits Jerusalem and the leaders there, and he's attempting to meet with the disciples, but how does that go, church, as you look at it? Verse 26, he comes to Jerusalem, he's attempting to join the disciples, And they were all terrified of him. This dude was scary. And so we get to see here how human all of this is. Saul converted. People saying, Lord, are you sure? Yes, he's a brother. And now he's coming and trying to meet with the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And they don't know if he's legit or not. They're thinking he might be a spy. He might be deep state. (laughs) And in fact, it's genuine. He is a genuine disciple of Jesus, but it took them time. And look who it is at verse 27. Who comes to his aid? Barnabas, the son of encouragement, comes, and he is advocating for Saul. And he says, I can vouch for him. I can stand by him and guarantee you that what you're seeing with this man is real. It's authentic. And look at what he says there at verse 27. He makes three comments about Saul. Look at it. 
again, we do this together. We read the scriptures, and then I just kind of guide us through so that you can read and analyze and prayerfully notice these things. What are the three things that Barnabas says? He described how he had, in fact, seen the resurrected Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus spoke to him. And then what's the third thing? He immediately began to speak boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas is there vouching for him. And so then, from then on, the church embraces him. He has a new community. Friends, ponder this for a moment. This is the guy who's killed, he's put to death the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Word has spread all along the Mediterranean coast there. This guy is like the terror of the early church. And now he shows up and allegedly is a Christ follower. And somehow the grace of God empowers the church to see that in fact he is a Christ follower. And then immediately we see him. Look at verse 29. He's arguing with the Hellenists. And do we remember who the Hellenists are? They're the Greek-speaking Jews, the very people that Stephen had ministered among. So Saul is going to that group. It's interesting, right? He approved Stephen, a Hellenist, dying, and now he's going back to the, the people of Stephen and he's arguing with them about Jesus. And so the brothers and sisters take Saul and remove him and bring him down to Caesarea and then back to his hometown in Tarsus. Then we end with this. Look at verse 31. And there is something sewn into this that we have to look at here. I'm going to read it again. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, that's all along the Mediterranean Sea, the coast, they had peace, and the church was built up. Why do you think that is? Luke is signaling something in these verses here. Why do they have peace? Because the terror of the church, Saul, has been converted. And so the church is having reprieve in this moment, and the church is being built up because the fire-breathing, persecuting Saul has met the Lord Jesus, and he's now on the side of the Lord Jesus. Living in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increases in numbers. So this is one of those places there where we hear the fear of the Lord, and if you're a new believer, you're a young person, the word fear can mean something negative, right? But in Holy Scripture and in the church, the fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. It leads to wisdom, and it leads to life, and it leads to holiness. And so for the early church, they lived not in the fear of Saul, not in the fear of any other man or woman, but in fear, holy, clean, pure fear of the Lord Jesus. They revered him. They knew how awesome he was, and therefore they were filled with courage to be the church. Amen? Why don't we stand and thank you for kind of rifling through a little bit of last week and a little bit of what we were looking at for today. Worship team can come up. And next Sunday, we are going to shift gears a little bit. And we've been focusing on Saul. 
the Apostle Paul, and it's going to shift back to the Apostle Peter's ministry. So if you want to read ahead, we're going to look at 9, chapter 9, 32 through 43, and see Jesus actually resurrecting someone, a woman named Tabitha, through the Apostle Peter. It's going to be awesome.